was making lists of airline flight numbers, trying to figure out which planes were confirmed hijacked and crashed and which might still be threatening us in the air. Norm was working two telephones, with the FAA on one and his chief of staff on the other, trying to get the skies cleared until we knew just what we were dealing with. A commercial airline pilot usually has wide discretion to handle his aircraft in an emergency, and apparently someone said something to Norm about pilots deciding when and if to bring their planes down. I heard him say in no uncertain terms that pilot discretion would not be the rule today. Get those planes down now, he ordered. In those first hours, we were living in the fog of war. We had reports of six domestic flights that were possibly hijacked, a number that later resolved to four. We had conflicting reports about whether the Pentagon had been hit by a plane, a helicopter, or a car bomb. We started getting reports of explosions across Washington, at the Lincoln Memorial, the Capitol, and the State Department. We heard there was an unidentified, non-responsive plane headed for Camp David and another headed for Crawford, Texas. We also received word of a threat against Air Force One. At about 10.15, a uniformed military aide came into the room to tell me that a plane, believed hijacked, was 80 miles out and headed for D.C. He asked me whether our combat air patrol had authority to engage the aircraft. Did our fighter pilots have authority, in other words, to shoot down an American commercial airliner believed to have been hijacked? Yes, I said without hesitation. A moment later, he was back. Mr. Vice President, it's 60 miles out. Do they have authorization to engage? Again, yes. There could have been no other answer. As the last hour and a half had made brutally clear, once a plane was hijacked, it was a weapon in the hands of the enemy. In one of our earlier calls, the President and I had discussed the fact that our combat air patrol, the American fighter jets now airborne to defend the country, would need rules of engagement. He had approved my recommendation that they be authorized to fire on a civilian airliner if it had been hijacked and would not divert. Thousands of Americans had already been killed, and there was no question about taking action to save thousands more. Still, the enormity of the order I had just conveyed struck all of us in the piak, and a silence fell over the room. Then Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Bolton leaned forward in his chair and suggested we get in touch with the President to let him know what had just happened. At 10.18, I picked up the secure phone in the drawer beside me and called Air Force One, which had left Florida and was heading west as the President's aides looked for a secure location from which he could address the American people. When the President came on the line, I told him about the shoot-down order. There soon followed some tense moments when we got word that an aircraft was down south of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Had it been forced down? Had it been shot down by one of our pilots following the authorization I'd conveyed? Eventually, we learned that an act of heroism had brought United Airlines Flight 93 down in the fields near Shanksville. Aware of the fates of the other planes hijacked that morning, the passengers on Flight 93 stormed the cockpit. By sacrificing their own lives, those brave men and women saved the lives of many others, possibly including those of us in the White House that morning. 
Eric Edelman, my Deputy National Security Advisor and a veteran Foreign Service officer, entered the PIOC with a message for me from Steve Hadley, the President's Deputy National Security Advisor. Mr. Vice President, he said, Steve believes you should evacuate. I told Eric I wasn't going anywhere. I knew the President was safe, and I knew I had to maintain my ability to communicate, as frustrating as our communications challenges were that day. Eric, if we leave here and get on a helicopter to evacuate, it will be at least 45 minutes before I can be back in touch with anyone. That's valuable time we can't afford to lose. Tell Hadley we're staying put. Lynn, who had been sitting at the end of the conference table, brought me some news. She had heard from the Secret Service that they were getting our kids and grandkids to secure locations. At 1028, the second tower came down, and there was a collective gasp.